Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, Mark. I miss really? you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Never met Dylan. <laughs> but I miss you, mate. I've, I've missed you all along. <laughs> I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you, I miss you, man. I miss you, I miss you, man. Do I miss you? Welcome to I Miss You, Man, a special edition. Uh, normally, it's just Dylan and I, Lonnie, doing this podcast together. But this week, we've got a special guest. People don't realize that we actually have Mark here every week um, just to sit in the corner and sing the theme song. Um, this week, we've decided to let him speak as well. So thanks, Mark. Um, so Dylan, what do we normally do on this show? Well, normally, Lonnie, we take turns hosting, yep. uh, run, each, run each other through a topic for that week and uh, try and brighten the other's week. But uh, this week, my week's already brighten, Lonnie, because <laughs> I, I get to meet the man. Mark the man. You don't just get to hear him sing our lovely theme song. You get to hear him speak about... Well, what are you going to talk about, Mark? I'm going to talk to you guys about dreams. It is an open presentation for consideration of the value of dreams. Well, well, well. More for it. More leaves. So Mark is a good friend of mine. We work together. And he's been a big supporter of this podcast, even up to and including singing our theme song. Uh, Mark has been, I've been trying to get Mark on the show for a while now to talk about something he's passionate about. And look, I'm not very spiritual or very fun, but Mark is. <laughs> <laughs> and so Mark wanted to talk about the power of dreams. So Mark, please take it away. Okay, thanks, Lonnie. Uh, now, the first time when you initially pitched the idea that I could write you a little jingle, you sent me some words. And the first line of those words was that Dylan had a dream. (laughs) And then in recent times, I've discovered that it was an actual dream that Dylan had. It's true. He wasn't just having a Martin Luther King moment. (laughs) No, no. And I guess the best place to start is Dylan. Could you please describe to me what that dream was and how that worked in your brain? Well, it's, it's quite weird. It's kind of like a situation where, like, we weren't starting up the podcast or anything. It was a situation where we were already in it for a while, if you know what I mean. Like, that mm-hmm. was life as normal, um, which is kind of how dreams go. You're just, like, in it and uh, you just go with whatever's happening. You don't really question what's happening around you. And we had the podcast called I Miss You Man because we missed each other. And yes. Yeah, basically it's quite loose what the topics were, which is what it is now. We, we just run each other through whatever we feel like running each other through. And when you woke up, what made you send Lonnie the message? Oh, I just thought it was an interesting dream. I thought uh, he likes to hear from me every now and then. Because at that point we probably talked oh, probably once every few months, would you say, Lonnie? Yeah, we, we sort of got together and talked about stuff. If I was up in Toowoomba, seeing, I'd see my parents, I might pop in to say hello, but we weren't in constant contact like we are now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been much more constant now. Is that a good thing? Who's to say? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought it'd be something he'd be interested to hear, pretty much. He's always been the kind of guy where I can just throw anything at him, tell him anything, so I did. Yeah, Lonnie does have that quality. Yeah. He's, he's been on the receiving end of many a pitch from me. <laughs> it's a gift and a curse, fellas. <laughs> uh, so I guess in that space, like what stands out to me and what you told me was, one, it was that you were already doing it. It was already happening and it wasn't questioned in the dream. Yeah. 
but you had a specific title for it and it related very much to how it like a waking life understanding that you'd been out of contact for. Yeah. So straight away, I like for me, I see that as like a poignant little problem solver that your brain had um, sort of worked on, like a, a problem that your brain had worked on and then solved in an interesting form and kind of delivered it to you and it sparked motion in waking life, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, which which is what's happened pretty much, yeah. But Dylan, wasn't it just because you had too much ice cream before bed? <laughs> that's where I equated it too because I did. I had some Neapolitan. About, uh, you got to be careful. 9.45 at night, you know. It's too late, Dylan. Way too late. It is. Uh, I've admitted to this. I said this. <laughs> so... Uh, Another interesting thing there is that it was Neapolitan ice cream. Is this 1989? Excuse me, Mark. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen Neapolitan in a freezer <laughs> since then. Well, you need to get out more, mate, because Neapolitan is the flavour. Maybe it has been there since the 80s, and that's why it made this dream happen. <laughs> yeah. It's got bloody staying power, boys. That's what they call it. <laughs> Did you find this at your local food works? In the bottom of the freezer. Nah, mate, IGA, you know how it is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, mate. Oh, Buller, you know how it goes. <laughs> Buller, no way. <laughs> okay, so when I am interested in something, what I often do, because I'm very interested in words and communication, I look at the etymology of particular words if they pop out to me. So I thought I'd go into dreams. So I was just looking at the origin of the word dreams and it was pretty interesting to me because the old, uh, what's this, Middle English of Germanic origin related to a Dutch word and a German word and probably also an old English word, all meaning or related to joy and music. Hmm. Oh, okay. So... That twigs my interest again because obviously being a musician and being someone that is actually actively in search of joy, uh, especially with the project that I'm trying to step into, I actually sort of said that to Lonnie that the goal is to get to, to joy as well. Um, I, it just popped out to me that I would look this up for the first time and it aligns with where I'm at right now. So that always excites me to talk about this, these things sort of more. Um, but what I noticed is as you go through and you look at further origins of the word dream, there's reference to it being sequence of sensation or images passing through the mind of a sleeping person, which was mid 13th century checks out yep checks out <laughs> does uh again merriment and noise pops up mm. and then where you get into proto-germanic germanic sorry um origins you're starting to dip into deception illusion and phantasm uh the idea that to deceive and delude, and ghost and apparition, and then even down to seek to harm, injure, mm-hmm. and lie and deceive. So within that lies a paradox, and there's a confusion of understanding because they, those two things seem like either ends of the spectrum. They're almost opposites in lots of ways. So... As you speak, if you were to be a fly on the wall uh, and the topic of dreams came up and you were witnessing Lonnie and I together, you would see that confusion, (laughs) (laughs) that paradox in action. (laughs) Uh, But it's like uh, something I should probably lay out is I've never been one to remember a lot of dreams. I don't... I don't, like they say you dream all the time, like everyone dreams every night, Mm. Um, but I'm not one to remember them. 
really. So I'm not somebody who has ever kept a dream journal and I don't have any books about dreams. I've never studied dreams as a, an area of interest. I've studied the dreams that I've had and my own patterns of thought in relation to what's happening in my waking life. And that's where my interest comes from. It's kind of deciphering when there's something to be learnt, when there isn't. It's figuring out. It's, it's a search for clues, really, I guess you would say. So, Mark, do you see that dreams are like your brain processing problems and giving you some offering up solutions? Uh, yes. So I see dreams pretty clearly in... Like, if I have five dreams, I can kind of separate between dreams that are simply my brain just doing a bit of exercise <laughs> or working through my bowl of Neapolitan at 10 p.m. <laughs> but then I can also see the dreams that are, say, processing an anxiety that I'm mm. fixated on. Mm -hmm. And they're very clear to me and they're often they're quite tense dreams but I don't, I don't wake up finding them to be like a message from somewhere. I wake up feeling like straight away I can see that my brain is trying to sort out the clutter of a day and sort of put it into some sort of order or reorder it for a greater understanding of what it is I'm working on. So do you find that you dream more when you're going through some issues in life or if things are relatively settled do you not really dream and you just sleep uh if things are settled when i have dreams i would say they tend to just be a bit more wandering uh, a bit less urgent and they can kind of just be anything like it's it's a strange you know uh if i sort of think about, like I can remember my first dreams when I was probably four, mm. Um, mm. which was an interesting time for me because my father had died when I was three. And so I was surrounded by grief and still living in the same house. And as a little kid, you don't, you, you're not aware of what these things are. But I remember the, that two things, um, the first dream that I actively remember was really just a nightmare about the statue in the garden, which I could see out my bedroom window, Jeez. just moving <laughs> like in the night, you know, just sort of shifting, which is a classic little mm. scaredy cat uh, dream of a little kid. So that it's no great, no great sort of meaning there. That would, that's just an anxiety in the sense of a, a fear being sort of played out as your mind wanders. Mm. But I do remember also as a kid what I used to do at night when I was lying in the room when I was like four or five. I would sort of look at the, car at the carpet and the carpet had this sort of abstract pattern on it and I would look for patterns within the pattern and kind of, you know, in my mind sort of draw lines around different parts of the pattern. So then I would see the pattern one way and then I would flip the pattern to kind of see the negative version of that like if you you know mm. with um, negative space in mm -hmm. pictures so I'd flip it and then I'd try and challenge my brain to flip it back to how I originally saw it and this is something that I was doing when I was like four or five but I continued to do that as I grow up like when you watch clouds go by for example um, and you see a rabbit in the clouds or something, and then you sort of try to see it another way, and then you find some other sort of shape, and then you try to get try to get your brain back to how you originally saw it, and it's really hard to get back to that original view. So I guess my point of bringing that up is my brain was obviously from a young age looking for patterns in things, as we all do but it was trying to look at things from as many angles as possible, which speaks very much to how I approach the world, really. I try to consider 
as many as many sides of an issue or as many frames of perspective as I can and then sort of work it back after running it through myself to what I believe is, you know, what I choose to believe in from all of the information I've gathered. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting if, if you're considering why dreams are so active for me um, as a tool for learning about life. But people use dreams, when they talk about dreams, they're talking about big things sometimes um, and they're not, you know, they're talking in that Martin Luther King sense. Mm. Um, so dreams, are, when people talk about dreams, are often about hope and searching and believing as you continue to move towards a distant goal as opposed to just locking in on the idea of dreams as a, as you know, fantasy or imaginative or anything like that. So like if you throw the word dream out there or um, if you use the word dreams, a dream in, in your own discussions and stuff, how would it usually come up for either you, Lonnie, or you, Dylan? You go first, Dylan. Well, with dreams, um, I'm more associated with, yeah, with sleep visions and that sort of thing. Um, that's how I've been more exposed to it, especially with like reading things like, uh, I don't know if either of you have read Neil Gaiman's Sandman and sort of thing. I haven't read it, but I'm aware of it. It's, um, that's all about a dream sort of maker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, rule of the dream world, mm. obvious, so. That's how I've always uh, gravitated towards uh, dreams and the meaning of them and that sort of thing. Like Do you think that would mind. be from, like, you're sort of an active... I, I was listening to the, the the last podcast last night, Man Bat. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a an avid consumer of comic books, for example? Uh, comic books... Yeah, here and there. Not comic books necessarily only, but uh, yeah, lots of fiction in general, I would say. So mythology is, as a way into looking at dreams, it sort of seems like a natural interest avenue? Yeah, pretty much. Like, Because um, a lot of my dreams do involve things from fiction. Like I've, I've had a few zombie dreams and that sort of thing. Uh, don't know how common they are for everyone else, but like, <laughs> um, but like you know, like yeah, end of the world uh, sort of things. Uh, yeah. What about you, Lonnie? Well, it's interesting. I was thinking of Mark talking before about the the natural paradoxes when you talk about dreams. Um, so when it wasn't when we were at school, Dylan, but a few years before. I know this because my parents were teachers at our school. Uh, the one of the slogans or sort of I guess you called a slogan, yeah. But the principle brought in was, if you can dream it, you can do it. And that was taken oh, from... Yeah. you remember that briefly? Yeah. Was that, who was that, Mr. Green or was that before him? Uh, that was Mr. Cook. Oh, okay. um, it's before our time, but I'm yeah, aware of it. And that was taken from Walt Disney. And the, the, the comparison was drawn between our school and Walt Disney and Disneyland because they were both... Uh, founded in the, in the same year, 1955. And so that idea of dreams, like if it's something you can think of, it's something you can do, that's a really attractive idea. But comparing that to someone who might, you know, talk about someone being a dreamer in a sort of dismiss dismissive way. So in that sense, the dreamer is someone who's thinking about things and not actually doing them. And that just seems like a natural paradox and something that I find interesting that just the same concept can be very clearly or very closely related, but so different. And that really speaks to those different views upon the world. Like if you're thinking hard science versus extreme esotericism, I don't know. <laughs> Basically, you know, if you're going into deep spirituality, for example, mm -hmm. People can see only the extreme ends of those things 
and not understand that there's sort of many, there are many shades across the spectrum of understanding on either end of those scales and that the two can actually work very well together and integrated into action. But it does take personal agency to take what you dream of and then make it a tangible thing. Uh, so it's very real world based for a dream to mean anything in terms of outcome, I think, if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. Yeah. It is interesting that yeah, Dylan had this dream, as in he had went to sleep and dreamt about having this podcast, but also then that gave us the dream to actually do it. Yeah, exactly. But you could look at that in a number of ways. You could go, oh, well, Dylan is the keeper of all the clues. Let's, <laughs> um, let's put him on an IV drip and chain him to a chair, work him for all his magic. Or you, could, or you could go, there was something there that was of interest, it was discussed, and it created a bridge of communication which got a ball rolling, which brought to life something that could have been dismissed in, you know, as simply too much ice cream. <laughs> but that is a classic thing that happens. People do have crazy dreams when they eat things that don't agree with them or mm. too much sugar. Like I was a, I loved bananas growing up, but when I was around 20, I had this banana and I got insanely ill, like just stomach pains. It was like, I could feel it all the way through my system. It was like this itchy, aggravated ball. And I was between the toilet and bed and I Jeez. was exhausted by it. I was sweating and I was, had this fever and then I fell asleep and I was having these crazy fever dreams and it was soundtracked by this CD of all these old, um, uh, like, mumbo <laughs> songs. <laughs> so, so, like, in the midst of this fever dream, there'd be, like, this voice suddenly going, would you like another cigarette, darling? <laughs> so, so it was quite an experience. I I love bananas so much that I figured that that was an anomaly. So I it took me four more bananas of and the same experience, four more experiences the same, um, to actually quit bananas due to being allergic. When I went to the doctor and I said. I think I'm allergic to bananas. Like, what can I do? And he said, stop eating bananas. <laughs> so, so I haven't had a banana in 20 years, something. Could I just check that you weren't like vomiting and then going have another, another banana and then vomiting again, <laughs> like in one session, right? Well, I was vomiting and then I was picking the bits of banana out of the vomit uh, and then eating, re-consuming them. Yeah. Because I didn't want to waste the pressure. That's a problem. Banana. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, um, there was a combination of uh, both ends. I didn't know which which end to put down the commode. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was quite quite explosive. But out of that came this weird, crazy fever dream. Um, so people, like there's many accounts through history of people having crazy fever dreams and often in those dreams people have drawn out some weird little thing that has led them off on a path. Mm -hmm. um, but equally so, many people simply understand it as a fever dream and it's its own unique experience. So when you had this um, weird fever dream about bananas, you didn't start a podcast? Why is that? <laughs> no, no, strangely, I didn't feel there was anything to apply in, oh. in real life. Okay, um, But uh, I... And getting to, yeah, I'm sort of getting closer to the dream that switched my understanding of dreams from just dreams into something of unexplained yet uh, tangible meaning to me, I guess. Um, in terms, of, like uh, the first 
nightmare that I remember beyond those, you know, the statue in the, the garden. Mm-hmm. I remember that I was in line, I was probably in grade two, and I was in line at the school bubbler at um, Wynnum North State School, which no longer exists. And I was behind, I was waiting behind this fellow called Luke Henderson and somebody pushed me and I then had a knock-on effect and bumped Luke forward just as he's going to have a drink. And then he fell onto the bubbler and then he turned around and his eye was falling out. And that's not one that I've taken into real life and applied meaning to. Um, not. But, <laughs> but I do remember running in crying to mum after this dream and I would love to have uh, sort of had the discussion with mum the next morning <laughs> as an adult <laughs> to find out what she thought of that crazy dream. <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. um, but I guess within dreams like the underpinning ideas uh, things that I see are sort of there's issues of failure and perseverance and resilience and trusting in yourself and potential and there's also that idea of connecting to some core that you can often step in between your waking understanding of and basically that you get in your own way sometimes in understanding yourself and how you process the meaning of the world around you. So was that dream processing anything for you when you were a kid? <laughs> um, probably, I, I don't know whether I'd been pushed in, in line mm. um, or something like that. It's odd that I remember the exact kid it was that was the victim of such an atrocity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's all these years later and, and I still can clearly picture that particular little, little sequence just is an odd one but um i don't dismiss people when they talk about dreams because there's reasons why people need to believe in the things that they do and it's not always simple fantasy or abandonment of reality or the understanding that you actually have to do things for yourself to get a lot of stuff done in life um and yeah so that was 2008 was really the beginning of my journey into taking notice of dreams when they popped up and looking how they could apply to my life. Wow. I don't think I've ever had a dream that influential in my life. What about you, Dylan? No, not a dream that, um, yeah, just straight up does something for you just by having it. I mean, I would would love it. (laughs) It would be a great dream, but... No, I can't say I have experienced anything like that myself. I remember one night in 2014, I had a really good night's sleep. I just woke up and I was like, that was a good sleep. <laughs> it was a good night. Same thing. Yeah. It's pretty, it is pretty similar, I reckon. It, no, it is. It is the same thing, you know, like there's, it's moments, it's reflections upon something that makes a difference for you the next day. Um, but immediately and almost without you doing anything like Dylan made, made sense of um, from what I said there. Uh, I, I guess now when I have dreams, like I've sort of worked through a process of trying to, like I don't go down the path of say a Freudian psychoanalysis of dreams um, and paint elaborate pictures um, and stories into it in that sense. I know that Carl Jung, he was a big dream person as well, and I've got an audio book of his, but I've, I haven't started listening to that yet. But I'm interested to get his perspective on it because I find a lot of value in things that he says just as expressions for, like prompts for thought about the human condition. Um, but, yeah, like I've, I, I've worked on my own process of sort of delineating between the dreams. So... I, if I have a dream that is simply uh, a dream logic type dream of wandering and, you know, a psychedelic trip kind of a dream, 
it sits in its own space as just your brain flexing its muscles, whatever. When I have dreams, like I said, about processing an anxiety that you know you're working on something and then you it's occupying your thought and then you go to bed and you still you dream about it and it's not always nightmares it can be that it's just playing with the characters that are considered and it's moving the pieces around to sort of make sense mm-hmm. so i see those ones mm-hmm. and then at the extreme end is a dream like i just described um which i i have i haven't even stepped into the frame of understanding how or why those reach me in the way that they do. But I know that certainly there's no shortage of people that have had those kinds of dreams and spoken to them over time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I don't have an explanation for that last one, really. Like, I guess I told uh, Lonnie about two dreams throughout the last year. (laughs) He got the rundown. (laughs) <laughs> I could see I could see his his eyes rolling back into, into the back of his no, head no, through I, would, the, I wouldn't do that the, through the chat window <laughs> but what stood out about these dreams were there was there were two very specific things that were said in the dreams like one one dream I had was somebody telling me about a, a trilogy of songs by Johnny Cash called the bird didactic and i was like well, the bird didactic and then they were just talking about it as if they were johnny cash songs so i woke up and i thought okay is didactic even a word because i didn't <laughs> sounds like a word sounds fancy but like what so i googled that and then it says intended to teach particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive and in the manner of a teacher, particularly as to appear patronising. Now, with what I was going through at the time, and I was talking to Lonnie about a lot of bits of the details and stuff, I thought, okay, there's a lesson there for me because in my mode of communication, I was I was struggling not to tip over into a place of kind of being patronising in my communication, I think, on some sensitive issues. Like, I was definitely trying to get across things that were of moral significance, I, th- I think, like in the greater movement of, of self and stuff. But that just popped out straight away. But to put in the bird didactic as a collective, like a, a formed phrase, it kept bringing up this old poem called The Conference of the Birds, and so any time you get that many hits on something, like you just go, well, I'm going to have a look at this. So I went down and then I was looking through, was reading about this. I've, I've since bought the book. Like I've tracked it down and bought it in. And I actually really don't enjoy reading poetry, um, much less 12th century Persian poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Don's favourite, so, you know, be careful what you say here. Yeah, you're stepping on my toes, but that's all right. No, well, see, with songwriting and everything, I, I'm naturally poetic in the formation of lyrics and everything. You know, like, I, I do write poetically. Our just, theme song is evidence, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> But to sit down and 
you know, work through a book of poetry has never been my first choice for reading. So anyway, as I was looking at this, so it was talking about in the summary of the book how it's essentially is a conference. It's all these different types of birds moving across a landscape in the direction of the great ocean. And the birds are designed to represent all these different parts of ourselves and that we are the birds in the story. It says all of us have our own ideas and ideals, our own fears and anxieties as we hold on to our own version of the truth. Like the birds of the story, we may take flight together, but the journey itself will be different for each of us. And he tells that Attar, who's the poet, tells us that truth is not static and that we each tread a path according to our own capacity. It evolves as we evolve. The idea that we all have our own version of the truth and also that truth is not a static thing and there can be evolution of truth was important to me to hear in that moment. Yeah. So... Out of that dream, I, I extracted something of relevance to me in, in real life, but that came about because there was such a specific thing that set out and identified itself within the dream. It's like something that doesn't quite sit with the landscape. As you know, if you look around and you see something in your surroundings, and people talk about a sixth sense or something like that. I believe that the sixth sense largely comes from your unconscious mind identifying something that doesn't doesn't fit with the environment. So as I go through this stuff, I kind of I look for those moments in dreams. And um, the other one that I had is <laughs> interesting. <laughs> In this dream, everyone just kept saying to me, the door of Ortega. And that's the, like, didn't matter what I said to them, all they responded with was the door of Ortega. And so I woke up just going like, what the, like, because if you were watching a movie, like, that's like in being John Malkovich. When he's inside, <laughs> everyone's just Malkovich, Malkovich. Like, you couldn't get more dream crazy than that kind of a scenario, but it was such a specific phrase. So then I went looking into that stuff, but through Ortega, it, it talked about the origins in the Spanish family name and um, about people that put family first, take pride in their work and are great orators. They honor the family name with dignity, respect and pride. And then from Ortega, there was a mention of how it could have been related to Omega because of how language, mm. um, like the Spanish language can sometimes be, um, one word can be conflated with another. So mm. you can have, it's like exception and excepción and how they're different words, but they can be taken as the same meaning. Uh, and so then, yeah, then we go off down this path of the Omega and one key feature of the Omega is that the Omega male is the only thing that an alpha male fears, even though it's the lowest ranking in that Omega verse, as they say. Um, it's just, you know, from that I was going, okay. But it didn't sit in this amazing space for me at that point because I was like, I, you know, those are little clues. They kind of assist me with where I'm at at this point in my life and what I was thinking about. But then as I'm journeying along, I am reading this other book uh, called The Inner Self by Hugh Mackay, McKay, which is a fantastic book for anybody to read. Uh, where he goes through the top 20 hiding places for self. And so obviously I'm deep diving on myself, looking at things, trying to progress and evolve. But 
the day I went to get the conference of the birds, I just looked to my left and that was on the shelf and I went, oh, and I picked it up, I read it back and I was like, yep, that's it. Went straight to the counter and bought it. As it goes along in the, well, I think it's even in the introduction part, he mentions Jose Ortega y Gasset, who is this Spanish philosopher from like the 30s or 20s or whatever. And so then I was like, oh, Ortega. <laughs> I got to go down this rabbit hole. So then I straight away just ordered a couple of his books. But the books are Man in Crisis and, or Man and Crisis um, and something else. I haven't got them in front of me. Was it about doors? And it was all about doors. <laughs> but interesting quotes from him. Tell me to what you pay attention and I will tell you who you are. The metaphor is probably the most fertile power possessed by man. And I don't know what you make of that, fellas, but um, that's kind of why dreams mean what they do to me. Can I just ask, for these dreams, before the bird dream, before the door of Ortega dream, mm-hmm. how much ice cream would you consume? <laughs> and or bananas. <laughs> and or bananas, yeah. <laughs> Yes. I know the diet was fairly steady. Um, Yeah, banana ice cream was the mainstay. Um, Dylan, what do you make of those dreams? Well, I take away it's just uh, interesting what dreams mean to different people and what they can take away from them. Like they can be a vision or a goal, as Mark said, or they can be a, a sort of a spiritual journey that different people can go on. Um. And, yeah, I mean, I know Lonnie's kind of not really on the spiritual side. I'm kind of in the middle between you two, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was very interesting to uh, to talk about and hear, like, a different perspective on dreams that I haven't really heard before, to be honest. We've got a Dylan sandwich here. You're in the middle. Oh, yeah. I'm the <laughs> boys. I, I guess um, the one final thing, but, you know, in my preparation I did work towards a summary, which... Yeah kind of um, gets across how dreams, when treated with respect, can kind of help individuals. Because dreams really, to me, can at their best can equal hope and inspire agency, but it requires discernment when you, you're reading dreams. You can't... Mm. You can't have every dream and think every dream's telling you something to do. Like you need to learn about yourself and the way that you think during waking hours in order to differentiate between what are those things of value, uh, those dreams of value, and what are just your mind just, you know, uh, sorting through a day. Um, And the major clue I would give to people or advice if they have dreams and they, they sort of attach to them in some way is to think of it through that frame of, of just looking for the thing within the dream that just seems out of place with the, the rest of the dream mm. or uh, that stands out because that is something that you can really lock into which will activate you if you think down these lines to just have your eyes open and be looking for things to explore to help you in your day. Um, but I was listening after your podcast, I was listening to the Mark Marin WTF podcast, which I had listened to a lot. He's our main rival. Yeah. He's, yeah. I believe he I'm is. there with Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I hadn't listened to him for a while, but he had an interview with Brene Brown, who's all about vulnerability and, you know, she's kind of trending um, in the current age. Sort of like a pop psychologist almost, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's – her studies into shame initially and Mm. and then she got it off into vulnerability. And she's she's one of the the, um, TED Talk success stories. Yes, yes. Yeah. so I don't think I'd quite say that she's a pop psychologist in a simple form, but she's no. certainly 
trending like a pop star. Maybe more, yeah, popular. Yeah, yeah, from yes. that. that not, not in a sort of dismissive way, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just at the very end of the podcast, she said that before her research, I thought hope wasn't an emotion, but it's not. It's actually a cognitive behavioural process. And hope has three pieces, pathway, agency, and belief. So hope is I can set a goal. If I can't get to it, I can plan B or plan C or plan D it and believe in my ability. And we can teach it in schools, so we need to be teaching hope in schools. She said we need to teach people agency, goal setting, real things that lead to hope. Hope is not a gauzy sense of potential. It's a skill set. And I think that's that sums up mm. through connection back to dreams, what dreams mean for me. Wow. It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. Yeah. I've got some questions about your dreams, Mark, if that's all right. Yes, certainly. So these two dreams you've had about the door of Ortega and the bird didactic, mm-hmm. you said you hadn't heard the word didactic before or didn't know the meaning of it. Do you think you'd had heard it before somewhere? I would say that I had absorbed it um, or seen it but not engaged with it. Mm. I think oftentimes that's how your brain works. It's like if you if somebody talks to you about Mustang cars and you're not into cars or something and then suddenly you're noticing Mustangs everywhere or something. Sure. And what about uh, Ortega? That hadn't been part of your life beforehand at all? No, Ortega's different. Like I, that was just really out there. Mm. Didactic, I could under, I could sort of see how I could have come across it. Ortega, I mean, I, I could have come across it, but it just was that phrase was. I, I just for some reason I sort of aligned it to the um, you know Ghostbusters and Rick Moranis character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there's something I could imagine him talking about the door of Ortega, but mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very likely that it was sitting within my brain and was just waiting to be activated. It's interesting, yeah, your brain somehow manifested that. And it's so interesting that that those two dreams led you to so many other really interesting ideas and and um, concepts to engage with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you approach life integrally, as in you you seek to integrate your learnings to create a collage, then dreams can kind of just assist in that. Like Mm. the trick is not to hand your power over to dreams, Mm. not to wrestle on your laurels and think that, you know, dreams are just going to give you all these answers. Because if you, if you think about people that rest solely in that place, they're becoming detached from society and themselves and, Yeah, and I I think that's dangerous if you go down that path. But if you can just look at dreams as just another set of clues towards mapping your world, then it can be really empowering, beneficial. And, Mm. I mean, when you look around, you do naturally seek the information that is aiding in your search and you naturally will move around the bits of information that challenge certain ideas of a narrative. Mm. I think that's something that we all need to work past um, to try and, you know, be open to learning, like open to the production of wisdom in a real sense. But it is definitely a natural starting point when you look around, like you, in the first instance, you're going to look for things that speak directly to what it is you're looking to explore. Hmm. Um, so it's it's very self-driven and it's certainly your own brain in action working with the clues. Um, but, yeah, I just I find it just just amazing stuff and really helpful. I was going to say that I'm not really someone to base my life around dreams or to, to use anything from a dream and then make a change in my life. But then I realized I'm doing this podcast based on a dream. So not exactly. <laughs> <You're> hypocrite, <Lonnie. laughs> there is something I want to say 
um, about dreams though. That's interesting to me because I'm a writer and I really engage with narrative and story and always writing things. And so often my dreams sort of take the form of a you know, three-act structure or I can see that there's like there's the main plot of my dream and then there's like a B and a C plot as well. Mm. And it's, it's not something that I actively think about. I'm just, or when I wake up, I sometimes can't remember it, but it's something I know when I'm in the dream. Isn't that yeah. weird? Mm. Yeah. Well, I had a, another dream where I woke up, like it was a very specific scene wherein I was looking through a camera lens onto a wedding on the waterfront in the south of France and the wedding ceremony was all set up and the wedding fell apart in like, (laughs) yeah, like the, um, the bride stormed off and it was like, so, but it was such a specific thing. And then I woke up and I just grabbed pen and paper and I just started writing and I mapped out an entire film from that one scene. Wow. And the story itself is like, I'm not going to explain it now, but it's a fully formed story with all of this stuff in there. But that was just activated by a scene in a dream that for whatever reason was powerful to me. And I literally just woke up and started writing. And I don't, I don't do that at all. Generally, like I, I just, it was a compulsion to get that story out and sort of just mm. back scene to scene to scene to scene to mm. scene. Yeah. That's interesting um, in terms of storytelling because the power of dreams is often talked about in, in screenwriting um, classes and books. Dylan, have you ever heard of Joseph Campbell? The name sounds familiar, but I can't. Yeah, so he's like a narrative theorist from, from last century and he basically... The story goes, he went around the world and collected all these um, myths and narratives and stories from different cultures over time and around different parts of the world and realised that there are lots of common threads and he developed the hero's journey, which is, and his writing was very influential on George Lucas, who went on to create Star Wars. Uh, Have you heard of Star Wars, Dylan? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's like Spock and that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the one. <laughs> um, and so... It's it's that's and it's because of Star has been so successful and this book has been so successful. It's informed lots of screenwriting ideas. But the, the general idea is that no matter what society you're um, in and part of around the world and through history, there have been common dreams and there have been common stories that keep being thrown up. And so there's this idea that there's a general overwhelming unconscious spirit from humans. No matter how individual we think we are, there are commonalities that we can't avoid it's interesting i was reading a screenwriting book recently and this this um, quote came up from joseph campbell and it was about dreams and about the unconscious i'm like that's very um timely given that we're doing this podcast today so i thought i'd just um read it out if that's okay no yeah um i'm gonna have to go sorry um oh okay yeah no time to read (laughs) i i I understood myself to be here to talk not to listen <laughs> well you know what i'm gonna do it anyway uh, and you, you guys can just leave if you want uh, go on. <laughs> all right thanks thank you dylan thank you mark here's the quote the unconscious sends all sorts of vapors odd beings terrors and deluding images up into the mind whether in dream broad daylight or insanity for the human kingdom beneath the floor of the comparatively neat little dwelling that we call our conscious consciousness goes down into unsuspected Aladdin caves. So I don't know if there's anything there that we can apply to what we've talked about today, but I guess this idea of that, the unconscious is sending us things, you know, kind of ties into what you've been saying, Mark. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned that idea that there's a uniform human spirit or something like that. Um, so that's one frame of how you could look at it, but if you go into the down the path of, uh, just in terms of lineage of family and what is hard coded, what becomes hard coded into DNA and passed on down generations through science, you could probably also get to an understanding of these commonalities in dreams. Mm. Um, because, you know, it is your brain working things out. Um, 
and it is neurons firing and creating new paths of connection, mm. which I think is how you move towards wisdom as a long-term um, project of life. But, I th- it, you know, it doesn't need to be esoteric. It, it, like the meaning of dreams and the value of dreams can be translated scientifically into another language that doesn't argue against dreams purely being one thing or another. I think there's there's a bridging language that can be found that just allows for all these different frames looking upon it to understand that there's something there. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fascinating. Um, I want to get you back on some other time, Mark, to talk about sleep. Because we've talked about dreams today, but have you guys ever thought about how scary sleeping is? It's um, it's a, an odd one. Do Freaks you, me uh, out. Do you do you sleep easily? I do. Sometimes I have trouble getting to sleep, but then I think about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to lie here in the dark with my eyes closed until I fall into being unconscious, and then in a little while I'll wake up. And that whole time, I don't know what I've been doing or what's been happening around me. So it freaks me out a bit when I think about it, to be honest. It's scaring me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just picturing you just lying in terror <laughs> in the dark yeah. about the fall. Yeah, that, that's about right. So maybe you should look into something about that, Mark, and come back and comfort me. <laughs> comfort you. <laughs> look, you set a challenge. Uh, Dylan, is there anything else you want to say? Mark, that theme song slaps, man. (laughs) Mark, before we let you go, um, can you confirm the rumour from some of our listeners, and that listener being me, that you are going to be releasing an EP with songs based on our episodes? Is that true? (laughs) Look, um, I'm in discussions with um, powers that be and uh, marketing are sort of looking at approaches to the world post COVID and how we can get a tour underway. Um, so you never know. You never know. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Dylan? Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mark, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Um, yeah, look, I, I can certainly go deep on things, but, uh, I'm, I'm a fun, fun guy also. <laughs> so, so, so uh, if you ever want to explore a quirky topic um, yeah. and uh, you're looking for a, a, a third wheel, mm-hmm. I can roll on into town again. Dylan doesn't mind a menage en trois, so. Mm. Nah, as long as I get some attention, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mark, for coming along today and, and taking on on this this journey that the journey that I don't think Dylan and I could have done by ourselves. No, You're welcome. Not that poignant. <laughs> not <at all. laughs> Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Lovely oh. to meet you, Dylan. Good to meet you too, Mark. You're you're a great bloke. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, all right. Now Take Mark, do you wanna do you wanna plug your um, band at all? Uh well you're not going to find a whole lot out there, but sure, I have a band called Lesser Hits and we are currently in stasis. Thank you, COVID. Mm. I've, um, I've not played a gig since October last year, but um, hopefully hopefully, sometime in the near future that'll occur again. It was a good gig. I was there. Nice. I heard that Dylan, you know, perhaps may, yeah, you know, probably go along sometime. If my schedule opens up, yeah. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're a keen listener of our podcast, you realise that Dylan doesn't like gigs, so. Oh, okay, I've I've not um, I've not understood that as an overall thing. I just I just took the slap to the face at the end of <laughs> no, the last podcast. I, I I just don't like live music of well produced songs. <laughs> So you'll be fine then, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'll be fine. You, you, you're going to be safe coming to one of my shows. Oh, okay. Well, we're yeah. all good then. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up then, eh? <laughs> now, I miss you, man, is on all the socials. We're on all the podcasting apps. It'd be really good if you could give us a review, um, give us a rating, hopefully a five-star rating. 
Um, and feel free to get in touch with us as well. Uh, thank you very, thank you once again, Mark, for coming along today and taking us through a journey of dreams. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 I miss you, Mark. I miss, miss you, Mark. you already, Lonnie. <laughs> and you too, Dylan. Thanks, man. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.